0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Pokies-Burke, and this is the Career Slay Podcast. Imagine the impact we could have on society if everyone loved what they did. That's what Career Slay is all about. I'm interviewing people who love their jobs and asking them how they got there and what they've learned along the way. We're here to slay the fear in career. Tweets, trends—he's seen it all. In this episode of Career Slay, I interview Varun Jindal, a brand partner at TikTok and co-founder of Bali Shake, a community of South Asian content creators. Varun shares his take on social media over the years, along with the importance of authenticity and representation when making content. From growing an Instagram community to nearly a million followers to working at one of the most talked-about platforms today, Varun gives us an insider's perspective on a career in social media. We discuss how to build a community, the importance of engagement and how it's challenging to find that sweet spot between creativity and commerce. We even reminisce about our shared experience marketing Doritos and close with a discussion about his passion to help small businesses and creators navigate the media landscape. Will this episode of Career Slay go viral? Varun says it doesn't matter, but we're still crossing our fingers. Welcome to Career Slate Varun. It's so great to have you.
1: Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So Varun and I actually worked together way back when, I think it was 2019, we Mm -hmm. were working on the Doritos brand, and he was my social media guy. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us your story.
1: So I pretty much have been in Texas for uh, about the last 20 years, but I was born and raised in New Orleans. My parents were always entrepreneurs, they were small business owners. And then they saw, you know, a lot of our family moved to Texas Mm -hmm. and my folks transitioned into Indian clothing that really is quite popular, like at weddings and special events.
0: Like saris. That's
1: right. Mm -hmm. Saris, langas. In that process, I really started to fall in love with helping them get the word out, right, Mm -hmm. and really supporting my family that way. And that was my first exposure to anything in advertising from radio ads, magazine ads, and eventually stuff in digital.
0: How old were you when you were helping your parents?
1: I was a high schooler. Really?
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. so... Hustler. Yeah, I guess so. Anything to get away from my academics. I I honestly, I, I, I joke now, and my parents have certainly a humor about it now, but I was always someone who really craved kind of that in-person mm-hmm. um, interactions and doing things rather than being kind of confided in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was a really fun opportunity to just be a part of the South Asian community and then also, you know, just learn what it is to get the word out there. Because I realized that everyone needs that. Marketing is, is here. It's not going anywhere.
0: Yeah. So did you go to college?
1: I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I went to UT Austin. I knew at the time I I wanted to study advertising. Mm -hmm. And one really unique thing about UT, they split marketing and advertising up.
0: Oh yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Which
1: is which I actually really like because marketing is more on the business side of things Mm -hmm. and advertising was more on the communication side of things. Mm -hmm. And I leaned more on the creative side. And yeah, I graduated in 2012. So I'm I'm out now ten. I guess eleven years now.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what was your first job after college?
1: As much exposure as I had to ad agencies and creatives, I felt there were some hard skills that were like lacking. Mm-hmm. And so, I knew if I started my career in media planning, I would sort of get those the hard skills, the the math chops that I really mm, needed. The analytical, to the analytical side mm-hmm. that would make me a little bit of a better, more well rounded young professional. Mm -hmm. And so at the time I I joined a media planning agency and I worked on a lot of retail and luxury clients. And uh, it just so happens that the clients I worked on, they were really fascinated with social.
0: Mm -hmm. And at
1: the time, social meant pretty much Facebook. That was kind of my first foray in specializing on the social side.
0: So you're a co-founder of this platform called Bali Shake. Tell me more about that.
1: My family friend, his name is Rohit, Mm -hmm. he was the person who actually had the original idea, Mm -hmm. and he's a CEO. Essentially, it's a South Asian media company that is not in the business of creating its own content. Okay, We're really in the business to build a community of creators that eventually we can serve as a bridge Mm -hmm. to brands, to... Film production houses to music labels, both uh, in India and any other market interested in reaching these people.
0: Gotcha. So it's almost like an aggregator of mm-hmm. these creators and leveraging it as a platform to connect to other brands.
1: That's right. It was something that we did part time, as many startups kind of start off with. And um, after working on it for about six to nine months, uh, in addition to my job, I took a leap of faith to pursue it Mm full-time. And with that, we got to experience all the highs and lows of bootstrap startup. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I was able to really sink my teeth into community building and social strategy. And one big thing I really learned with Bali Shake was that building an audience and building a community are two very different things. Mm -hmm. Really, it boils down to engagement. If those people are really dialed in, that's really what matters, Mm -hmm. right?
0: You started Bali Shake at ground zero, zero followers. And where is it today?
1: Our biggest platform is Instagram, Mm -hmm. like around 740, 750,000 followers.
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) Just incredible. Yeah.
1: More remarkably so, and, and I'm very grateful to our community, to our followers. We were able to achieve this without spending a dollar.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Just to take a step back, what exactly did you do for Bali Shake? Like, were you the community manager? I know you're wearing many hats in a startup environment, but just break that down a little bit for some folks.
1: Of course. My favorite part was connecting with creators. I've written press releases for some of our partnerships with global charities and award shows. Business development as well, which actually took me to India for about six to seven months. Mm, wow. And that, I think, really opened up a lot of doors. I essentially touched everything except for the engineering.
0: So what did you do next?
1: It was a really unique opportunity where Frida Lay was bringing a lot of creatives in-house. So I had joined this really cool team that was an in-house agency. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky to get paired on Doritos, which you worked on.
0: Yeah, pretty good brand. <laughs> oh, amazing brand.
1: Very uh, iconic brand. Yeah. The personality of the brand really spoke to me. Yeah. And so I um, started off really helping out with rehauling kind of the Twitter strategy mm-hmm. for Doritos and um, even working on some really high-profile campaigns like the Super Bowl, which was a dream come true for me. Yeah, and trying to navigate because you know at any large organization, there are sometimes a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know highly from,
0: matrixed is how we they they, uh, they they write it on a job description.
1: <laughs> highly matrixed. That's right. And you know, having to navigate some of those cross-functional conversations, it was a really amazing lesson for me because I'm going from having complete full in freedom with what I did a Bali Shake mm-hmm. to now, you know, kind of jumping through hoops with, with good reason, of yeah, course, yeah. Um, PR, legal, mm-hmm. but it was an opportunity to really become an example of a brand rewarding their fan base, mm-hmm. and we were able to see the results of that.
0: Yeah, I learned so much from you. Not only did I learn the word bussin, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're having fun and, you know, I think we're changing lives one chip bag at a time. Yes. I think.
0: <laughs> so after Frito-Lay and Doritos, where did you go?
1: Yeah, this was prime COVID. And so I freelanced for a little bit and uh, then I, I charted out a move uh, to New York. and And that's when I ended up finding my next gig, which was at Medium, which... At its core, it's a technology company, Mm -hmm. but it's essentially a writing platform. One of the biggest ones in the world, actually.
0: So what did you do at Medium?
1: The company was going through a brand refresh. Mm -hmm. I saw it as a really amazing opportunity to refresh how they did their social media management. Really look at what platforms are working, not working, and which ones haven't they explored yet. But in the process, we were giving... A spotlight to uh, very underrepresented voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to take, you know, International Women's Month and Black History Month as a springboard to really share some incredible stories. And through that powerful storytelling, did we see followers and fans across platforms really get reignited? I'd mm-hmm. like to say. And that was really. Pretty wonderful to work on for a little bit. Awesome. Yeah.
0: So what brought you to TikTok?
1: After working and living in isolation for a couple of years, I was starting to get a little stir crazy. Mm -hmm. They decided to go remote only. As much as I was really enjoying the work I was doing, deep down inside, I knew I needed to just be around people again. It was a bittersweet conversation. I said, you know, I'm, I'm happy to work with you for a little bit and put the right team in place, but I need to be somewhere where I'm...
0: You wanted to be where the people are, you Ariel.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. So that brought you to Austin.
1: Yeah, that brought me to TikTok in Austin. And um, I had hit a little bit of, I think, like a learning plateau. Every platform I had worked on till now, I had worked on it from almost every angle, agency, startup, client side. So I kind of asked myself, what's next? Mm. And a few of my friends had told me that sales could be really interesting. But I said, what What am I going to sell? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, like, am I going to, if I'm going to go door to door and start selling vacuums, I mean, Dyson sells themselves. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I had to look within of like, what do I really believe in I realized advertising, you know, and I made a short list of places that make most of their money, if not all of their money through advertising. Mm-hmm. And then I also asked myself just from a value standpoint, you know, are there certain companies that share my values and mm-hmm. are there some companies that maybe don't and I might avoid them? A lot of what I did at Bolly Shake kind of came screaming back at me. User generated content, check, video, check. And um, one thing that I really liked is on TikTok, people don't have to be so overly produced. Mm -hmm. You know, half the fun is just
0: the authenticity, the authenticity.
1: Yeah. um, I've always found that, you know, the content that tends to, quote unquote, do well Mm -hmm. is the one that is the most authentic. It resonates with people. Because I think people are very perceptive. They can see when someone is just kind of creating content just to create it. Mm -hmm. Or if it's something that really comes from within, feels very natural. And a lot of what I saw on TikTok did that.
0: So what do you do in your role as a brand partnerships manager?
1: I have a partner in crime who's a client solutions manager. Mm -hmm. And together we make up a pod. Different pods support different verticals. Some support apparel companies some travel, auto. My entire career, I've done consumer-facing stuff. This was the first chance I got to work on B2B. And so the vertical and industry that I support are business-to-business enterprise kind of software companies, okay. technology companies. Okay. People are pretty familiar with these type of brands. Slack, Dropbox, Zoom would be another one.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I was just thinking of like um, so Dell's making TikToks now. Like, I was just like
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Um, there are even you know computer chip companies that oh, are working okay. with us, payroll software companies, and I saw it as a unique challenge because most people who ask themselves well, like, why would they be on TikTok? I know.
0: I'm asking myself
1: that. People will buy makeup from TikTok. They'll buy clothes from TikTok. But on paper, there's almost a little bit of a disconnect. And that's what I really wanted to, you know, kind of debunk some Mm -hmm. of these myths. And that's what I've been doing since I joined last summer is I work very closely with these companies and I tell them this is an opportunity for your brand to have some fun, but more importantly, to reach your audience because they're spending that much time on TikTok.
0: That's so interesting because, you know, there's this perception that like TikTok's for young people, but at the end of the day, the person who's making the business decision is a consumer. You know, it's a normal human being who needs to decompress when they're, you know, kids going crazy and they Mm -hmm. just want to look at some videos to put a smile on their face.
1: Yeah. And in fact, 150 million people in the United States are doing that every single day. Oh my gosh. So I've really enjoyed working on this book of business because being able to sell TikTok to a vice president of an enterprise software company Mm -hmm. that gave me a pretty fun challenge.
0: So tell me a little bit more about being in sales because you didn't have any experience in it. Mm-hmm. You seem like the least salesy person that I know. And I know sales just gets such a bad rap. Tell me about your approach.
1: I love coming in and really learning from the best. And I looked at how other people sell and instead of... um kind of duplicating that, I soon realized that there has to be going back to the authenticity. Mm-hmm. My selling style is uniquely mine. A lot of it boils down to a lot of shared empathy mm-hmm. with the person on the other end yeah, and understanding what do they care about? What does their boss care about? I start with just kind of understanding what, what their needs are and what their capabilities are. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone has like a whole team dedicated to making videos. And luckily, internally at TikTok, there are some really amazing kind of creative solutions Mm -hmm. to help people with that. Because sometimes it can be a little daunting. That has been really fun and really exciting to kind of uh, play matchmaker from Mm -hmm. a solution perspective with these companies. And I think that is really what has helped me. Placing oneself as like an extension of their team, I think, builds a lot of trust. Yeah. And by building that trust, I think they understand that I kind of have skin in the game Mm -hmm. and really understanding what their needs are. And sometimes that's even saying no. Yeah. This might not be the right time or, you know, let's wait till you have something a little bit more uh, central or something that's a little bit tighter of a concept.
0: So do you have any advice for entrepreneurs or social media influencers who want to build a career off of social media?
1: Yeah, um, I think right now is a really good time, even though every other day you're reading about the economy the way it is. I think it's reframing how someone grows. The variety of platforms out there combined with all of this stuff in AI I definitely think there's an amazing opportunity to grow. But I think it really boils down to, one, I think learning from those who have uh, succeeded or those who are currently achieving. More often than not, someone is more than happy to you know, take your call and give some advice. But I think the other is, is just understanding the realities of you know, the creator economy. Mm -hmm. That is changing pretty rapidly. And so having multiple sources of income is actually going to be the formula for success in the future.
0: Yeah, I love that perspective of diversifying your income streams and not just relying on one platform or one source of income. And then also, you know, your advice on figuring out what's the platform that's best for you Mm -hmm. and focusing on that first. So have there been any challenges in your career that you've had to overcome?
1: Yeah, a couple. When I was growing the startup, you know, we decided to grow it kind of in a bootstrap capacity. There are a lot of advantages to doing that. You're able to really be a key decision maker in the future of your company. And there's sort of less cooks in the kitchen. You can control the direction that you want to take it. And I'm very grateful to my co-founder, Rohit, for making that decision because we were able to do it in a very authentic capacity. So that growth took time. You know, we're from Texas, so I kind of joke that growing a community is kind of like Texas barbecue. The brisket and everything has to be kind of cooked low and slow.
0: Low and, slow.
1: and that's kind of how you get the, the richest and deepest flavors out of it. Oh. That is challenging because... When you choose not to raise around the funding, you're not able to expand your team. So it sometimes can feel a little isolating. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think the other side is when you're working a traditional nine to five corporate job, those who are creatively inclined can sometimes feel a little bit torn. Mm-hmm. It's an eternal battle between your brain and your heart. <laughs> yeah. Your brain craves a lot of safety stability, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you have the infrastructure for a very comfortable life. Mm -hmm. But often those who are creatively inclined, their heart is outside the building, you know. It's constantly kind of chasing butterflies and and looking for the next kind of great thing to really get involved with. Mm -hmm. I think what helps one sleep at night is just finding that balance,
0: yeah, I um, I was at a talk with Sarah Bareilles, and you know the singer. Yes. And she had mentioned that one of the hardest parts about being an artist is the balance between commerce and creativity. Yes. Because as an artist, all you want to do is create and do it your own way and put your heart on your sleeve and wear your feelings and be vulnerable. But then the flip side of that is to actually make it. You have to package that up and sell it to someone. <laughs>
1: It's tough. And, and I, you know, I have a lot of respect for artists that can do that balance. It's hard. The mm-hmm. bigger the bigger you get, the more eyes are on you, the more pressure there is. But um, with that also comes an opportunity to share your art with a bigger audience mm-hmm. and seeing where someone started to where they are now is also pretty magical.
0: On that note, what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job?
1: Definitely the most rewarding part is working with creators. I have had the good fortune to work with some very large, you know, names out there. And I've also worked with people who are just getting started. And that is definitely by far my favorite part is Mm -hmm. just working with creators, getting their stories and Mm -hmm. something as simple as that. So that's definitely my favorite part.
0: That's awesome. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
1: Limit the noise pursuing something that is a little bit off the beaten path can come with you know a lot of judgment and it can also add to kind of this pressure mm-hmm. to conform to a traditional path and I think if I had started my career um following you know my own compass and my own heart I think it it would have saved me some years of um you know, having to kind of go through the motions a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then I'm also, I I look back without any regret because I am who I am today because of those experiences. For sure. And once career is such a long path that we've only scratched the surface.
0: All right. If you had to sum up your career in three words, what would that be?
1: Community, creativity, and content. Love it. Something about the alliteration. I just needed the three Cs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I think they go hand in hand with each other. And so um, I wouldn't be where I am today without the community. And content is such a powerful tool. And creativity, I think, is at its core. I think is at its heart. Yeah. And the, the, the most uh, headline-generating stuff is usually the one that is the most creative at heart. So um, if I could carry those three pillars throughout my entire career, I'd be very happy.
0: Well, I hope you do. I think the three C's work perfectly for you. Just having worked with you, I think you carry those in any job that you have. So
1: yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you so much.
0: Well, Varun, thank you so much for joining us on Career Slay. I loved our conversation and I am hoping to apply all the things that I learned to my Instagram account.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm happy to be here. And, and thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you. The Career Slate Podcast is a co-production of Career Slate and Wild Reply produced by Michael Burke. If you like the show, subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. So stay tuned for some great conversations on Slaying the Fear in Career.